Okay, let's go. We are almost done with the 2021 season outlooks. Uh, welcome to the Double Down WMA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Uh, Stephen, you know how they always say we're saving the best for last. Um, we saved the worst for last in the New York Liberty. Two and 20 last year. Not very good. They were the 12th ranked team in the standings. Uh, 12th in net rating, negative 17.2 net rating of full seven points per 100 possessions worse than the 11th ranked fever. They were the worst offense in the league as well. 87.3 offensive rating, 12 points per 100 possessions worse than the 11th ranked dream. And uh, they were fine defensively. Not really, but a lot better than everything else. Uh, 104.5 defensive rating that was good for ninth. So still a bottom four defense, but when you compare it to everything else, it was uh, not terrible i suppose uh where should we start with a team that kind of never really had a chance last year well never really had a chance is a good is a good point uh this team was kind of doomed from the start in my opinion because you know they're, they're coming off this big tina charles trade where you figure okay they're finally rebuilding but they never really got off to a rebuilding so they're, they're filled with a lot of um how do i say this like stopgap type of players because let's go through it um Asia Durr, unfortunately, came down with COVID and is, is still dealing with it, I think. So that's really a lousy situation. We hope she gets better soon. Rebecca Allen opted out. Marine Johannes, uh, Neo Rinkakakunwe, not with the team. Megan Walker, one of their draft picks, also came down with COVID. She was a late arrival. And, of course, their, uh, their, franchise, their new franchise player, Sabrina Ionescu, got injured very early in the season. And it was just – I mean, you know, expansion is always a hot topic at this time of year when uh, when, when players are getting cut and, and fans are, are are bummed about that. For those of you who are hoping for expansion, the 2020 Liberty are what an expansion team would have looked like in their first year. Yeah, they had, as has been well documented, seven rookies and four veteran players to start the season. And, you know, for uh, Walt Hopkins's credit, you know, he, I think, did his best keeping two or so of those veterans on the floor at, at most times and would kind of, uh, you know, roll out more all-rookie lineups experimentally, I guess. But, yeah, the, it's not like even the veterans that they had were, you know, a, a bunch of amazing players that could sustain or, or kind of overcome having such an experience. And like you said, a lot of these – or not a lot, but some of these uh, rookies even of those seven are, are not even really kind of in their long-term thinking – and then, of course, that was compounded by the prize of those, that rookie class, the number one pick in the draft, suffering an injury, uh, season-ending injury after about 80 WNBA minutes. So um, that made for a tough watch and, and some tough results. Well, you mentioned Walt Hopkins. This was, of course, his first season as a WNBA head coach. So not off to a great start. But as you mentioned, like there, is, there wasn't much any coach could do with this. Um, there was, when he was brought in, of course, a lot of what they wanted to do was pace and space, those two buzzwords. But in his case, I think he, he did follow up on it. They played pretty fast, as, as you'll get into. They shot a lot of threes, but this is a roster full of players who either didn't fit the philosophy at all or just, like I said, were kind of fringe WNBA players. Or in the best cases are players who have potential to be really good play finishers but when your ceiling is a very good play finisher, you know, you need someone to kind of create a high leverage play for you. Mm-hmm. And that was not really an opportunity for the Liberty to take advantage of. You know, like a Megan Walker, for example, is a player that I think you were pretty high on coming out of the draft. And this team as a whole, you know, when you just look at like their three-point attempt rate, and this is something we talked about over the course of the season at length. But yeah, you can take a lot of threes, but if those threes aren't coming from ball penetration you know getting to the rim and collapsing on the defense they're just kind of threes because of a stagnant offense and nothing right. else could could amount from that offense then that's that's not going to go well if you have kind of you know just okay players you know sometimes a, a, a really great player can make something out of that situation but a team full of rookies isn't going to really make the most out of that no like you said there is no dribble penetration really on this team there is no real post presence on this team so the looks that they're getting were not quality looks and it was reflected in their shooting percentage. Yeah. Let me get into it here. Um, they did shoot a ton of threes. Uh, didn't make too many of them. They had the highest three point attempt rate in WNBA history per her hoop stats. They had the eighth worst three point shooting percentage 
for any team in WNBA history, again, per who, who, her hoop stats, uh, shout out to her hoop stats. They are a great resource for anyone who doesn't check them out regularly. Uh, you definitely should, even though they were such an awful three point shooting team, uh, last year, they scored the lowest proportion of their shots of any team from two in WNBA history. So even though they, they were not making the threes, uh, they were just taking them at such a high rate and they were also not very efficient from two that their points were still not coming from inside the arc. Uh, what, what few points they were able to score. They were able to get out in transition uh, an okay amount, you know, second entry in transition frequency offensively. So the philosophy was there, right? They were running, they were shooting, all good things if you have the players to do it. However, they were 11th in efficiency in transition as well as 12th in half-court efficiency by a mile. And this is what really kind of drove down their offense. The 11th in efficiency, like that's slightly below a point per possession 0.978 0.978 points per possession that 11th in transitions he was good for, but the half court offense, they were scoring on average less than three quarters of a point every time they got the ball in the half court. So that was not good. They were pretty average in terms of getting to the line, which, you know, average, I think, uh, as we are kind of alluding to, is not bad for everything else that this team was not doing well. Um, but they, they were the worst team in the league in terms of turning the ball over. They were a bottom four offensive rebounding team which I think is more philosophical really than than talent you know they had they were playing with two bigs two pretty good rebounding bigs at that a lot of the time in Zowie B and Stokes but I don't think that was really a point of emphasis you know they were playing a much more modern style more emphasizing you know getting back in transition and, and not allowing those easy buckets so definitely something to consider there uh, and then the last note I have here is that they were 12th in overall effective field goal percentage probably no surprise I just wanted to go through some numbers real quick um, regarding their personnel. These percentages are just terrible. Like Kia Stokes for most of her career, you know, she's has a reputation of being a really solid interior defender. And I think she was again for most of the season, but she suddenly became a three point shooter. She shot it at 23.5%. Liana Odom, 25%. Kylie Shook, 17.6%. Megan Walker, 14%. Joyner Holmes, 10.7%. So it's not, it's not like there was one or two players driving down this three-point percentage. The whole team, pretty much, was just horrid shooting the basketball. And Stokes, specifically, is one I wanted to talk about a little bit because it was certainly an experiment, right? That was not an element of her game before. It didn't work. It might not ever work. But, you know, to her credit, she bought into what she was asked to do offensively, right? They sure. wanted to to have her take threes. She took... of her shots last season from three. She took 85 total threes in her age 27 season after taking three total in her prior WNBA career. So, you know, she accepted the challenge. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about different players who have, quote unquote, added the three-point game to their arsenal in the offseason. And then you just never see it. They take one, they take four uh, over the first couple of games, and then they revert back to the 18-footers and stuff like that. You know, Kia Stokes wasn't even really a player that's taken 18 footers. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not even really a huge element of her game. So, but again, she, she did shoot 23.5%, like you said. It didn't really work. And frankly, like, they may just want to abandon that. You know, playing four out instead of five out with an effective finisher inside, like along the dunker spot or kind of around the post or setting screens and rolling hard to the rim, you know, that's gravity too, right? If you can roll to the rim and have defenders worry about you doing that that's going to provide more gravity than necessarily someone who kind of stands in the corner and is not respected as a shooter there. So I think that would be kind of more beneficial to their offense. And you know me, I'm a pretty kind of modern basketball thinker in terms of like what I kind of want to see philosophically, I guess, you know, I definitely prefer spacing and stuff like that, but if it's just not going to work, if it's not part of your repertoire, if, if, you know, you're going to go unguarded for a hundred possessions a game, and hit, you know, two threes out of every eight that you take or whatever, you know, you might as well just be a post player, you know? Yeah. It's not really spacing of opponents. Like don't guard you out there. Precisely. So, um, but that's kind of all I wanted to say on on Stokes. I think she's a good player, kind of a valuable piece of this rotation, you know, maybe not like one of their best players, but definitely good, good depth. Um, But just wanted to kind of address, you know, it's better to (laughs) just not, not do that at all than do it so poorly that, you know, they're daring you to do it all the time. So, and they um, agree. Well, and they agreed that she's a valuable part because um, they actually re-signed her 
uh, heading into free agency, like before the season even ended, I believe, which yeah. I think was kind of surprising. But it, it was a deal that got done, and they added a lot of pieces. Can, can we just talk about like what they did over the offseason? Because this 2020 team was just yeah, sure. I, okay. I I do want to go kind of go into their defense uh, very quickly. Okay, yeah, go ahead. You know, defensively, I think they were kind of fine when they played their their two veteran bigs, Stokes and Amanda Zawibi. When those two players played together, they were fine. They were acceptable. They were really bad pretty much in all other situations. Uh, they were the third best team in the league in terms of keeping their opponents off the free throw line. So that's pretty impressive. A little surprising, quite frankly. They were the fourth best rebounding team in the league. No surprise there as, you know, Amanda Zawibi led the league in defensive rebounding percentage. Uh, Stokes is, has been a great rebounder of her career. Um, and then this is something that they definitely tried to address in the offseason. 10th in defending pick and rolls overall, 11th in defending pick and roll ball handlers, as well as they were 12th, uh, aka last in defending post-ups. Kylie Shook was in the third percentile defending post-ups. Jocelyn Willoughby was in the second percentile defending post-ups. And then Amanda Zowie was kind of the other not great one, but even she was 52nd percentile, so not terrible. Uh, and then their defensive playmaking, something I think is going to be much more of an emphasis this year. They were third in block rate, which is good, and, and they played, again, with those two bigs that are pretty good at, you know, blocking shots and, and defending the rim, and maybe not for Zawibi, you know, uh, possession after possession basis, but, you know. They still record the blocks. Right, exactly. Um, but they were 11th in steer rate. So usually from here, we would kind of get into like 2020 player evaluations. I kind of dive into uh, a few players individually. I think that's kind of more something we can do for players that are incoming necessarily than like, I don't think really players of last year, like that was reflective of, of kind of a true WNBA environment. Exactly. Yeah. My, my thoughts. Exactly. Um, they're just, like I said, there are a lot of stopgap players on this team. Some of whom are already gone. Um, some of whom, you know, like New York obviously still has to make uh, their their final roster cuts for 2021. So we'll see what they do there. But everything in the, everything with the Liberty is just going to look so much different based on who they're getting back, which is Sabrina Unescu, and who they signed in free agency, like the, the moves they uh, made for free agent signings and also trades as well. So um, where do you want to get started here? Well, let, let me just go through it quickly. So they, they brought in Natasha Howard, Benaj Delaney, and Sammy Whitcomb in free agency. They drafted Michaela Onyenwede and Didi Richards in the first and second round, respectively. They are returning Rebecca Allen, who, as you mentioned before, did not play last year. They may or may not be getting Maureen Johannes back as well. No full season suspension for Johannes yet. They maybe will get Asia Durr back at some point, though that seems unlikely, unfortunately. And then for departures, they lost Amanda Zowie in free agency, as well as uh, Kia Nurse and Megan Walker in the trade with Phoenix. So from there, I guess we can talk about, you know, their, their kind of three big free agent signings, uh, which, you know, we, we've talked about a little bit in the past, but where should we kind of start? I think you got to start with Natasha Howard, right? I mean, she was the, this is one of the biggest acquisitions of free agency, something that maybe was a little bit of a surprise, but um you know, the number one overall pick was involved in the trade. Some other stuff was involved in the trade. And um, she's a player who will, he can single-handedly change a team's defensive culture. We expect them to be a very aggressive defense now that, now that they have Howard and Laney as well. And this is something that I think is just, has the potential to be a great basketball fit in terms of what Walt Hopkins wants to do with the rest of this roster. With Laney specifically, like that defense pairing can really cause some problems. Howard is definitely, you know, one of the, most versatile bigs in the WNBA. You know, she is definitely a little overmatched in terms of playing against, you know, one-on-one defending the very best or biggest post scores, you know, like a, a grinder or a cambage, something like that. Like she's just a, a little bit too small uh, to, to kind of handle that one-on-one, but most players are frankly offensively. She, you know, she just gives you a little bit of everything, right? She's not an amazing spot up shooter, but she can definitely, she has a great face up game, a great cutting game. Um, she can hit some of those shots, you know, she can attack a closeout from the three-point line and, and can pass a little bit as well. And then obviously defensively, you know, she's one of the best players in the league. There are definitely some concerns, I think, about how many minutes she can kind of play for this team, especially if she's playing at center and, and the kind of the fall trouble that she's gotten into in the past. But there's definitely a really high ceiling to this signing and a, a pretty reasonably high floor as well. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the minutes because Natasha Howard had kind of a strange 2020 campaign. You know, she 
she was late. Uh, she's a little late arriving in Seattle. And it seemed like the first half of the season, she was just really kind of going through the motions. Of course, by the time the WNBA finals rolled around the playoffs and the finals, she was the, the Natasha Howard we have seen dominate games on both ends of the floor. But this, you know, you mentioned the lack of defensive playmaking prior um, when we were talking about the 2020 Liberty. And Natasha Howard is one of those players who can carry a team on that end of the floor, particularly when she's paired with a really good perimeter defender like Benajah Laney. Yeah, and even for, uh, just to kind of address something you had mentioned, even, you know, in the, the 2020 playoffs, you know, she only had like an 18% usage. So it wasn't even really like she, like I think the offensive part of her game, like kind of never really did come around. You know what I'm saying? Like she, you know, I, I think, Stephen, one of the reasons why maybe she, and I don't know if the, if if this is out there or anything, or if this is the reason or not why this, this move happened was because she wanted a bigger role and she's going to get that here. Yeah, that's definitely the case. She can, and I, I am curious to kind of see what that looks like. You know, we saw a little bit of it in, um, in 2019 in Seattle, this team, I think has a little bit more creation outside of Howard. So uh, they ha- obviously kind of want Sabrina Ionescu to have the ball in their hands a lot. And the player that we'll get to now, Benajelani to have the ball in their hands a lot. And the Laney signing for me, is one that I think I am, you know, kind of a little bit less certain about. Are, are like, how did you feel about this one? Um, you know, I, I think it was a signing that Benajelani earned, no doubt about that. I mean, she had a career year in, in 2020, winning most improved player, um, putting up career highs across the board, turning herself from this player who was seen as kind of an offensive liability, but a defensive specialist, into someone who can affect every phase of the game. Um, Really, I don't think any of us really saw this kind of season coming. So maybe maybe you're hesitant about this because you're not sure if she can like do this, repeat that performance. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a career year for her in a lot of ways. 573 true shooting, 40% from three on the highest volume of her career, like the highest raw attempts of her career as well, even in the shortened season, uh, 50% from two. But I'm not sure like the areas that the Liberty kind of need from Benajelani or that they think they might be getting from Benajelani are really the areas that are kind of sustainable for her. Like, I think, you know, like the pick and roll scoring, like that's something where she's probably still going to be able to get her own basket, get to the rim, you know, finish pretty well in the restricted area, you know, off kind of scoring from the pick and roll. But is that shooting going to carry over, right? Yeah. She, was, she was in the 90th percentile in catch and shoot efficiency last year. She was 30 for 74 overall from three. And she was a 25% shooter for the entirety of her WNBA career the previous four seasons. So I think it's fair to just wonder if that's really kind of who, who this player is at this point. You know what I mean? Like, I agree. I, I hope she is. You know, I think that the Liberty are going to be a lot more fun and a lot better of a team if she can do that. But if she can't, then what you have is a player who I think her passing prowess has been a little bit overstated at times. I don't think she's an amazing playmaker out of the pick and roll or or creating for others with the ball in her hands. But if if that shooting isn't there, then that's kind of what you need her to do, right? Because when she was the previous version of Benajelani, you know, the, the four years prior to Atlanta, she was a player that was kind of the player that you ignored on offense in, in the half court. She was getting ignored and taking a ton of pull-up long twos and stuff like that. And she posted some pretty decent percentages from long two. So maybe she's just able to kind of stretch her game out sustainably moving forward but if not like I think the worst case scenario for the Liberty and for Benajelani on this team is that you know she kind of the shooting itself just the shooting kind of reverts to what it was the first four years or maybe even just like a 30 percent type three-point shooter and then you have somebody who has some success with the ball in her hands right she she can score pretty well on her own but isn't quite good enough to be the best option with her ball in the hands like I think you probably still want Natasha Howard and Sabrina Ionescu to, to do more of that. But if Laney isn't effective without the ball in her hands, then you kind of have to run more of your offense through her than you necessarily would want to, because otherwise she's kind of taking things away from other players when she doesn't have that effectiveness or without the ball in her hands. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes sense. Now, but the other hand, on the other hand, um, she's going to get after it on defense, no matter what. And that's something yeah. that the Liberty needed. Yeah, yeah, she's she's really going to improve their perimeter defense and, and just give them like a legit plus defender on the wing, which I think this roster definitely needed. You know, they had a, an okay defender, I think, in Kia Nurse, who obviously they ended up moving. But I I like her fit defensively, uh, Laney's, especially with Natasha Howard. You know, if 
if Laney is the player that you have guarding the other team's best pick and roll player and Howard is, you know, the big there, like you're going to be able to kind of really pick up the aggression and apply pressure to other teams. They're going to want to turn a ton of teams over. And obviously there's only one Benajia Laney. So it's not like their perimeter defense is just going to be awesome all around now. You know, you only kind of have one of those players, but still to have just the option that can guard any team's best player is an element that this team desperately needed. Well, everyone needs a player like that, no matter how you want to play on offense. And I, I, that's a good point. You know, they'll be able to be a lot more disruptive on defense than they were previously because previously they couldn't really do anything. But if you think about a team that wants to get out in transition, how, how like how critical is defensive playmaking, you know? Yeah. And she's definitely going to help on the defensive playmaking. She's going to help in transition. She was a really, really effective transition player last year. She got out in transition for 17% of her possessions when you include her assists as well. 74th percentile in transition, even though her individual scoring wasn't amazing, but she was able to make plays. And that's really where she was kind of a plus playmaker was in transition, you know, the half court. Uh, she wasn't really that, that great of a creator, a, a one-to-one assist to turnover ratio in the half court, but in transition, you know, she was able to kind of make good decisions, find her teammates and finish when she had the opportunity to finish herself. So between the defensive playmaking and her athleticism to be able to get out in transition, like I think she's really going to be a plus on defense and then turning defense into offense as well. Now you also mentioned, mentioned Sammy Whitcomb, not as uh, large of a, an acquisition as, well, as Laney. If I could ask you uh, with Laney real quick before I okay, move Okay, yeah, on. yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Like, do you, do you think she has like a, a specific best position defensively or can she just kind of guard whoever you need her to guard? I, I would say perimeter, like, like, like guarding the two or, uh, two or three would be her best position. I don't see her as much of an, uh, like a, a point of attack, like point guard defensive, defensive player. And well, I think like she is a strong player, like she's built like a tank, but I would not want her, you know, switching onto fours or a lot of the fours in this league for extended periods of time, because then that takes her away from the perimeter. And I'd rather have her guarding on the perimeter than down on the post. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree with everything you just said. I, I do kind of wonder what maybe having her guard point guards a little bit more would look like, but I don't think that's probably her ideal well, role. How about this? How about this? One player, and I guess we, we, we could talk about this player a little bit later as well, but Jasmine Jones, um, as a rookie, she kind of made, uh, she, she, she made a, a bad situation into a good one by really establishing herself as one of the highest energy players in the league last season as a rookie. If she makes this team, she could be a decent point of attack defender, or at least a disruptive one. Yeah, and she's definitely another player who's going to force a ton of turnovers for you yeah. defensively. Like, she's a defensive playmaker for sure. Um, you know, offensively, I don't think, you know, she, she was hot and cold. Yeah. Yeah. She, she was kind of thrust into a, a less than ideal situation, kind of playing the point guard when she hadn't really done that for a while. So uh, I, I do think she'll make the team and I think she'll be part of this rotation, but yeah, I think, you know, she's, maybe she is their, their best point of attack defender, or maybe, you know, that would be Sabrina. I, I, I'm not sure about that, frankly, but yeah, I guess we will see, but let's, let's get to Sammy Wickham. Okay. This was something I think I liked maybe a little bit more when I thought she was going to be a bench player for this team. You know, I mean, it was always kind of up in the air, like who was going to come over from overseas for New York, but you know, she's a really, really solid. I mean, she's an outstanding bench player, I should say, but I, I'm not sure if she's like an above average starting shooting guard in the league. Okay. She's had a couple good seasons from three, probably not as, you know, good from an overall shooting standpoint, as you may think, she's like right at 35% for her four-year career. She's really only had one decent two-point shooting season. Um, she's already going into her age 32 season. You know, I think she's she's an okay secondary tertiary playmaker. She's an okay defender. But when you just look at kind of, I mean, do you disagree? Like, do you think she's like certainly an above average starting two guard? No, I don't think she's above average. I, I, I agree with... I mean, I certainly see why you're hesitant because like looking at our numbers now, 2020 was by far a career year. Um, you know, you look at the true shooting, 59.5%, that's way up. Effective field goal percentage, way up. I mean, even free throw rate was, it was minuscule, but it was still up. So she's another player who I think really took advantage of a career year in a tough situation and kind of earned this role. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because she w had been that, kind of super sub type of player for Seattle for all those successful teams. And now she goes to a team that is going to be expecting more of her. Yeah. And I think, you know, she's going to fit in well, especially offensively, you know, she has 
one of the quickest releases in the league in terms of her jump shot. I think she has some pretty good versatility coming off screens and stuff like that. She'll give you something in transition again, which this team definitely is going to emphasize this year. So I don't dislike the signing, but you know, even at that money, I was, because they have so many rookie scale deals, I was like, okay, that's, that's going to be a really great talent upgrade for a bench player. Uh, you know, your, your super sub kind of uh, more so than someone that they're kind of reliably or, or someone that they're relying on for, you know, to be a starter for 32 games. But I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter because she was probably gonna, always going to close games for them maybe. But overall, like that's a pretty, pretty good influx of talent, you know, pretty good, yeah. you also have Rebecca Allen coming back, like maybe all of those players individually, you know, Whitcomb, Laney, Allen, Howard, all of those players are probably better than any of the veterans that they had on this team last year. Yeah, last year, and that's interesting because you said like the veterans on their team last year just were not enough to offset the amount of inexperience. But this year, I think there will be a much, much, much better balance. Not just experience versus inexperience, but pure talent. You know, I, I hate to say it, but Benajah Laney, Natasha Howard, Sammy Woodcomb, Rebecca Allen, they're just point-blank talent upgrades. And then the, the few inexperienced players that they have, everything else kind of falls into place, you know? So what do you expect from Sabrina Ionescu this season? Well, uh, this, is, this is interesting because, like, last year, she really struggled in her first game. She had a terrific second game. And then she got injured in her third game. I think it was her third game, right? So, you know, it was – you expect a rookie point guard to struggle. Of course, Ionescu hailed as this generational talent. I, I'm not going to – I'm not going to go too far into that because, you know, there, there's, there's a little bit of, you know, anointing the next uh, greatest point guard before she actually plays a game or whatever. But it was a good situation where she could at least get her feet wet. Of course, now everything's going to be so much different. I, I expect her to, to be pretty good. You know, there, there will be some jitters. It always takes point guards a, a little while. Even, even the best point guards have always struggled to start their careers. But she's got a perfect – front court partner in Natasha Howard. And that's something they have already talked about a lot. Did they refer to them as, as like Kobe and Shaq or something? I don't know if I'd go that far, but you know, she's got a really good pick and roll player in Howard and she's got shooters alongside of her now. Allen would come. Um, we'll see if Rain Johannes shows up or not, but she's got at least two really good spot up shooters as a point guard. What else, what else do you need on offense? You know? Yeah, she'll definitely be in a much healthier situation than she was last year. I, I really liked uh, a lot of what we saw from the limited sample size, obviously. Like I said, it was like 80 minutes or something. Um, really liked her aggression, shooting the three off the bounce, 23s total in her 80 minutes. I loved her aggressive outlet passing, pushing the ball up ahead. Yeah. Like that's obviously something she's going to want to like this team. You know, we talked about it at length already. She's shown the ability to finish with both hands. You know, defense, I think, was a little bit more of a question mark. We'll, you know, again, this was two and a half games we're talking about. So, I mean, we'll see. I, I do think playing those games and kind of getting that, even those 80 minutes of experience and just being around a WNBA team for a full season is, you know, better experience than not play. Like if she had missed the whole season entirely and, and just wasn't course, on yeah. the team and, and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's definitely encouraging. It's obviously, you know, too early to kind of, know what she's going to be in terms of her, her career, all WNBA nominations or, or anything like that, all-star teams, something. But I think this should be a really solid starting five that they have at least with a couple pretty good rotation players coming off the bench. You know, I, I assume their starters will be when they have everyone and, and they won't have everyone to start the team. And I'm not even including Johannes in the everyone because I, you know, we just don't know if she's even going to play this year for them. Yeah. But, you know, the starting five of, Yanescu, Wickham, Laney, Rebecca Allen, and Natasha Howard. That's their kind of five best players. That, that should be pretty good. Yeah, and it, it's versatile too. You know, it, it's not like they, they, they have to lean all into the pace and space thing. Now, one question I have for you is, uh, you don't think Lacia Clarendon is going to be starting then? Because last season, they actually started uh, Clarendon at the one and let Sabrina play off the basketball. Yeah, that, I mean, that is an option. And I mean, I'm not even sure if you know, Clarendon will play more than Jasmine Jones, who uh, kind of got carte blanche to, to do whatever Jones wanted last year in terms of her, uh, her offensive it, yeah. freedom. I imagine Whitcomb would, would start. Would you go a different way? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying there's, there's some possibility there with, 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 with Whitcomb being able to play either guard position 
and Jones technically being able to play either guard position, I, I wouldn't want her starting at point guard now that you actually have some value, some uh, viable point guard options. I'm just wondering because what some coaches do, um, they, they actually did this with Skylar Diggins Smith during uh, when when she uh, was first coming into the league. They had her play off the ball when she was really struggling first coming into the league, kind of juggling being the point, the primary scorer and primary initiator. Um, the Tulsa Shock, they just pushed her. They said, okay, you know, don't worry so much about playmaking for others. Go make plays for you. And Sabrina Ionescu can score. Like, she can be a three-level scorer in this league. How effective she'll be at it right away, I don't know. But maybe that's something Walt Hopkins chooses to just kind of ease her into, you know, being a full-time starter a little bit. I don't know. I'm just throwing stuff out there. And that's something that uh, Nikki Collin, before she took the Baylor job unexpectedly, talked about with Kennedy Carter, right, playing her a little bit more off the ball, uh, getting some more experience there. And, and I can kind of see both sides of it with, with the Liberty as well. You know, they have Laney and they have Howard, both players that are going to want to kind of do a lot of initiating in the half court. So maybe that's enough for Ionescu to kind of get that off ball experience, or maybe they want a Clarendon who, who does give you a little bit more ball handling than Sammy Whitcomb to start alongside uh, Ionescu. So it's interesting. I, I kind of had always just penciled Clarendon in as a reserve player for this team, but maybe not. Okay, uh, where are we going from here? Well, first, let me ask you, like, do you think that's kind of their, their best five, their starting five? Would you start Kia Stokes to kind of ease the defensive burden for Howard a little bit more? I don't know, because if you start Stokes, like, the offense, it, it just hurts the offense so much, like, needlessly. And I think Natasha Howard is a good enough she, – she's good enough to, to, like, actually be, like, recovering on defense. She at least has the length – to be able to recover against bigger defenders. Like she is going to get put in the goal by bigger centers, you know, like, but like you said, who isn't. And I think if they employ an aggressive enough defensive scheme with, you know, Laney and, and maybe, maybe Woodcomb or, or UNESCO um, guarding on the perimeter, that won't be as big of an issue. I guess it just depends on, on, do you want to go, what, do you want to lean all in on offense or do you kind of want to, you know, be a little bit more balanced there. And to be fair to that point, um, what they did in the draft kind of leans defense. So we'll see. That's, that's a good question. Well, the other thing is, you know, just kind of protecting Natasha Howard from those, you know, two fouls, quick fouls yeah. you know, six minutes into the game or something. And that's the only time that she hasn't averaged five or more fouls per 36 minutes is when she was playing alongside a true uh, center all the time in 2019, whether it was Russell or, or Langhorn or something like that. And she was able to be, you know, the power the playmaking power forward, uh, and not have to kind of bang as much down low against, you know, some of the biggest centers and stuff like that. Okay, so in this case, if, if they do start Stokes, you mentioned earlier being able to play a, a four-out one and kind of off. You think they could do that with Stokes now? I mean, I don't love Stokes as like an offensive player, kind of no matter what her role is, but and I don't love Howard really as a four even necessarily, um, but it's definitely kind of a theory to to consider as you as Howard has kind of this uh, – the, the history is there, right? She she has yeah. trouble not following, especially, you know, as aggressively as she plays defensively and, and as she's kind of undersized against some of those players. So I, I think it's still not necessarily the way I would lean, but I think there's like a reasonable case to be made as much as we kind of want to see maybe a more modern style with Allen playing the four and, and stuff like that. But that seems like what they're going to do, right? Like is have Allen be the primary four. Like in 2019, she played less than like 25% of her minutes at the four and was primarily a three. Like, how do you kind of see that shaking out for Allen? Don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure when Walt Hopkins was first hired, there was a quote somewhere about him wanting to play Allen at the four. Maybe that was just conjecture by the fans, but I think that that would be really optimizing her. Don't you? I mean, she's not giving up too much size on that. I mean, she's what, like six foot two. Obviously she doesn't have, have the girth of a lot of, you know, WNBA power forwards, but it, it does seem like the ideal kind of, small ball lineup like with like a stretch four right yeah and I'm curious as to what her role will be you know not only just the position that she plays and and I would imagine she'll play a little bit of three in maybe some of those Howard Stokes you know that that kind of pairing in the front court when they play a little bit bigger Um, but I imagine you know maybe it'll be flipped from what we saw the last time she was in the WNBA where like 75% of her minutes are a power forward um, but in terms of her role, like I want to see her like taking a lot more of her shots from three. Like she's oh, never, yeah. you would think a, a Rebecca Allen type, and maybe this is just typecasting a little bit, but she's never even posted like a 50% three point attempt rate, despite kind of being like profiled as a specialist a little bit. Yeah, so she's out there for a while. Yeah, shooting exactly. Her. And you know, she's 
for her career, a 38% three-point shooter, which is pretty good, and a 41% two-point shooter, which is pretty bad. So, But under the previous coaching staff for the Liberty, like she was taking a lot of long twos, and I imagine those will just be threes, and, and we will see that kind of increased three-point attempt rate from her. Yeah, I'm excited to see Rebecca Allen. You know, I, I feel like Rebecca Allen hasn't really – I don't want to say has never been used correctly because that's, that's at the coaching staff's discretion, but she's never posted a usage rate above 20%. Like you said, she's never posted a three point attempt rate of, of 50. So it's like, this is a, this is, and that was the last time we've seen her in the WNBA. So now that we've got a coaching staff that is, that wants to lean all in on this, uh, on this pace and space sort of thing, we could be looking at like a totally different player, you know? Who do you think is going to play more this year, Laser Clarendon or Jasmine Jones? Has Jasmine Jones earned the right to usurp Clarendon? Or, uh, you know, Clarendon, I think, is a little bit more of a reliable three-point shooter off the ball. You know, they were closing games for Connecticut uh, in 2018 uh, when that team was pretty good as well. So what, what do you think about that positional rotation battle? I honestly would still lean Clarendon because I, I'm sorry. Like, I know Jasmine Jones is a really dynamic player and she's fun to watch but she's pretty hot and cold. And I just, I'm just wondering if, if her pr- productivity was just a product of like being on a really bad team, like someone had to have a high usage rate, you know, that's not to say her, her game doesn't have strengths because it does. I just think you, I would just kind of lean that now you have a set roster with real WNBA players. I would lean the steady hand, at least to start the season, you know? Yeah. I think I'm with you. Um, so last maybe year, bring maybe, like maybe put Jasmine Jones in like you, you she's at least going to have a defined role this season if 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 anything else she's you're right you're totally right and then she was kind of miscast as a point guard last season for through all their their injuries and their absences and all that other unfortunate stuff um, so maybe she just she's just a havoc wreaking uh, backup two who comes in and just gives it 110 percent for 10 minutes 12 minutes a game and that's it. I do think she she's definitely earned a spot on the roster based on her play. I just don't know how much of her production last season you can you can say and okay this is contributing to winning basketball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that's totally fair. Okay. I think. Um, so last year, obviously, a team full of rookies. They have a lot of those players carrying over into this year's roster: uh, Sabrina, uh, Jocelyn Willoughby, Jasmine Jones, Kylie Shook. Uh, they traded Megan Walker, but they also bringing back at least for now Liada Odom and. Uh, Joiner Holmes. How many of those players, those that kind of rookie class uh, that was kind of thrown into the fire last year, how many of those players will be in this team's top eight or nine, like serious rotation players by the time this team is, you know, like a top four in the seedings type team, by the time they're like a, a really, a legitimately really good team? Oof, uh, not many. Not many. <laughs> uh, I, maybe Jasmine Jones, because I feel like she can have a defined role, but man, her, her, like she's, she's just a roller coaster. So I don't know if, if a coach is going to want to, by the time you're, like I said, you want to play winning basketball, you, you're, you're going for a championship like that. The volatility of her game may be enough to scare somebody up. I don't know. And then like, will be, unfortunately, of course, tore her Achilles recently. Um, so she's going to be out. I, and that's, that's, that's a potentially career derailing injury, you know? So I, I can't commit to her. I mean, Willoughby was definitely the one, you know, outside of Sabrina, who obviously was yeah. the number one pick, but Willoughby was the one that people I think felt the best about. I agree. I agree. I'm a Jocelyn Willoughby fan. Um, she was like maybe their most reliable three point shooter last season. Of course, not saying much, but she's got this. She's got the body type. You know, it, it was pretty fun watching her, even though she was a she was a poor two point finisher last season. Whenever she drove to the basket, defenders would just like bounce off of her. Like she's really strong and she can shoot. So if you if you can get at least a two level scoring player like that there's a there's a place for a player like that on this team but now man i have no idea like i don't know if liana Odom's going to make this team i don't know if holmes is going to make this team i think shook will make the team this year because natasha howard may not show up in time she's currently competing in the italian league um may not may not, may not be back in time but, but pertaining to your question Kia stokes as well i think is oh, Kia stokes, yeah she's yeah um and stokes is also going to be missing time for Eurobasket, basket competing for uh turkey so good for her so I think you're going to have to keep Kylie Shook around, maybe Holmes as well, if you're able to, just to have some depth in the front court. It's something that other teams have to deal with as well. But pertaining to your question, next time the Liberty are in contention for a championship, man, I don't know if any of these players are, are going to be a significant part of the team. Is there somebody who stands out to you? No, not really. Do you think Shook can profile as like a, a solid 
third big uh, or, you know, would you categorize her maybe as like a, an end of the rotation, fourth big type of player? Well, if she's your third big. What is she doing? What is she excelling at? It's not three-point shooting. I need to see more out of Caddy Shark to make a... Yeah, I was not impressed. I know there are people around the Liberty that, that really like her, but um, I don't really get it. But maybe, uh, maybe I'll be proved wrong. So, uh, so they have, you know, for better or worse, this team kind of halted the rebuild in its tracks, right? They, they had the number one pick of, of this draft of 2021. They obviously selected first in 2020 as well when they took Sabrina. And they decided that they wanted to spend a ton of money to just get better now and kind of not really go the rebuilding route, not show any sort of uh, patience as a franchise after a couple of years, you know, kind of stinking and, you know, Tina Charles and everything that went down there. But so, so they bring in these three high profile veteran signings. What do you think about the ceiling of the core of, of this, you know, Sabrina Howard, Laney Whitcomb, like what can those four players do as a core? How long will it take them to get there? Well, I think this team has a high ceiling actually, just because Natasha Howard is such a dynamic player. And we still don't really know like what Sabrina Ionescu is going to be capable of in the WNBA. So for that reason alone, I'm, I'm tempted to say they have a high ceiling. I don't think this is the year, you know, this is, it's one thing to add a lot of good players, but it's another thing to be able to integrate them all in an acceptable amount of time. And for that reason, I'm, I'm kind of, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm going to say give them another year, but if they do sneak into the playoffs, which I think is entirely possible, they could be a team that just like gives a higher seed a major headache in the first round. So that leads me to my, my next question, uh, my, my final question for you here before we kind of get on to strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Should they have traded away the right to draft a walk queer to sign Natasha Howard? And like I said, just basically kind of halt this rebuild in its tracks. Yes. Yes, I, I think so. Because it's not like, yeah, they're no longer rebuilding, but it's not like Natasha Howard is 34 years old either. It's it, they, they still, and it's not like Benajah Laney is, is, is on the downside of her career. It's not like they're desperately spending money. I mean, they got a, a franchise player in Sabrina Unescu and they, they saw the opportunity to add a couple of really, really darn good players to her. And now that's their core. If they, if they didn't do that, Queer is 19 years old. I love her ceiling. Pretty much everyone loves her ceiling. But again, you just don't know. I'd rather take the known quantity in this case. So Howard will be entering her age 29 season. Whitcomb, who's on a little bit of a shorter deal, uh, will be entering her age 32 season. And Benajah Laney will be going to her age 27 season. So yeah, they're all still in their prime. Uh, yeah, I think Natasha Howard is entering post-prime just from an age standpoint and you know how she kind of physically profiles. So let's get to strengths and weaknesses. What is this team going to be good at? Can we say three-point shooting now? I think so. Okay. Because you know they're going to shoot them, but will they make them? Yeah, I think so. I, and I don't see why transition wouldn't be a strength either. Yeah, transition, forcing turnovers. I think, the, you know, they're going to play more aggressively, and I think they have more of the personnel to actually do that effectively. Um, I think athleticism is going to be more of a strength now. Uh, you know, they have pretty good athletes, like up and down – their, their roster really specifically in the starting five, but you know, some of their bench players as well, Jasmine Jones, Michaela Onionwede, uh, floor spacing, as you mentioned, creation, you know, they have a lot of different players who can kind of get their own bucket and can admirably kind of create for others as well in terms of uh, Sabrina and, and Howard. I think they're going to be a pretty good passing team. You know, when you kind of look up and down the roster, you know, they don't have a ton of players who are just complete vacuums uh, that are, are just going to fire away every time they get the ball. Howard, Sabrina, Clarendon, Whitcomb, Laney, those players can all kind of pass admirably. Uh, we'll see how well this kind of system instills, you know, institutional passing. We, we didn't really get a good feel for that last year. Uh, I think there'll be a pretty good pick and roll offense and, and DHO offense with, with Howard and Sabrina uh, and maybe Laney to some extent as well. Um, limiting points in the paint. I think they maybe will be good at, maybe not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, well, why, but, why, why would they not be good at that? Well, if they're playing small and, and they're playing oh, okay, yeah. Howard and um, Allen, you know, a majority of the minutes at the four and the five, that's a little bit of a smaller lineup. You might so get situation. Okay. overpowered a little bit more, but if they're playing larger, obviously that'll, you know, I think Stokes is uh, really good in terms of being a paint presence. If nothing else, like that's kind of her, her game. Any other strengths for this team? I might disagree with you a tad. Well, when you say creation, you mean for themselves or for others? 
like for themselves. Okay, also. okay, I agree with that. Um, because I think because they've got Sabina Unescu who's a terrific playmaker for others, but besides her, I'm not sure if there's another really good player on this roster who can create for others. Is there? Am I missing something? I mean, I think Howard can do it well for her position, but okay, yeah, she's admirable, I would say, but not amazing. Okay, okay, all right. Other than that, I, I think I think you pretty much hit on it. It's, I think we're gonna see schematically a lot of the same stuff as last year. They're just gonna be better at it, you know. And then for weaknesses, you know, I think this team could foul a lot. Uh, Howard is a high foul player. Jasmine Jones is a high foul player. Kia Stokes didn't fall much last year, but historically has been a high foul player. Um, if they do end up playing a lot of their minutes in those smaller lineups, I think rebounding, you know, defensively and offensively, uh, even though they were a great rebounding team last year, I think that might be a weakness. You know, outside of kind of some more like intangible, you know, experience type stuff, which I really didn't want to put, like I, I had problems like just identifying what like weaknesses might be. No, I'm actually glad you, you brought that up um, because I'll say it intangibles here's the thing for one this team does not play a preseason game and i think that's that's significant especially when you're bringing in so many new players then when you also have players like kia stokes who are going to be coming and going you don't know if marine johannes is going to show up or not that's difficult that's difficult on a team's chemistry when you're when you bring in a bunch of players and you need to establish like a hierarchy like a pecking order obviously you know unescu laney howard would go to a lesser extent those are going to be your 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 centerpieces but that's the, the just the amount of turnover from last year to this year. It's one thing to say, okay, we got a lot of good players. Now let's go compete. But it's another thing to put it all together in a pretty short, like one of the problems of the WNBA as, as it pertains to like overseas play coming into the WNBA, there is not a lot of time, especially with some players needing to stay late in their respective domestic leagues. There's not a lot of time to establish chemistry in the WNBA especially when you have so many new players coming into your team because they just literally have not played together. And when you're also not playing preseason games, I know we like to scoff at preseason. Like the results are ultimately meaningless, but the process is not. So I could see the Liberty maybe struggling out of the gate as they kind of look to establish, as they kind of look to gel together. So that might be a concern of mine. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. Um, And most of the time uh, uh, for most of these episodes, we've been kind of going into expectations. Um, but I think for, for this team, you know, cause so much is unknown. I think we should maybe break it down into floor and ceiling and kind of, okay. you know, what, what is kind of the reasonable range of outcomes for this team and for the floor. Like I could, as you were kind of alluding to a few minutes ago, like still see this team being a year away uh, in terms of players are coming late. There's a lot of uh, international commitments, not only mid season, but also, you know, Natasha Howard and Kia Stokes are arriving, not being available for their first game. Maybe this team still ends up being, you know, maybe Sabrina just kind of still needs another year of development. Uh, you know, some of these other second year players just aren't valuable contributors off the bench. And, you know, they kind of just end up only having four or five good players. Uh, so I, I could see this team maybe still being in the the 10th seed, the ninth seed, something like that, you know, showing a lot of promise, but maybe still being kind of that year away. Well, how about another thing? How about like poor shooting luck? What if Sammy Whitcomb, you know, like like we said, one of the concerns with her is she had one really good year and three other years that were just eh. like, what if she reverts to that? And what if Rebecca Allen can't be properly utilized as a stretch four? I think those are those are legit questions. Yeah, and I think you know Allen has you know over the course of her career she's been a reliable three point shooter in totality, but you know she has a a 26% shooting season in there in one of those years. Uh, Granted, that was, you know, when she wasn't playing a lot of minutes. I I think she's kind of more valued from like a a roster building standpoint now than she was under the old regime. So, you know, I I think that outcome is a little bit less likely maybe than, uh, you know, in terms of her just only getting up, you know, 38 shots uh, uh, from behind the arc over the course of a season. Like, you know, it's just kind of a, there. she's in a more valued place philosophically, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, like both of those players maybe only shooting like 32%, like that just kind of drives down the, you know, how effective this offense can be. And, you know, we talked about Sabrina and her dribble pull up game from three. Uh, you or know, Laney. Did, yeah, Laney. So this team could have some bad shooting luck for sure. Or or just some regression uh, in, in some cases, you know. With regression, yeah, that's a good word for it. Okay. But what, what do you think about the team's ceiling? Uh, I mean, I kind of already alluded to this, but I think if they do sneak into the playoffs, I, I don't think they're going to be like a, 
a top four seed or anything like that. I think the rest of the league is still just too far ahead of them. But I think they could sneak into the playoffs as like maybe even a seventh seed and give somebody some big problems, maybe with some upset potential. Like I, I'm hesitant to to say much more than that, though. I think they could maybe do slight like uh, host a first round game, maybe like the the sixth seed or something like that, and you know win that game and then give a top four team in the second round like a really tough series that the Liberty end up losing. Like I, I think that's this team's absolute ceiling. I don't think it's you know, out of reasonable expectations for that to happen. Probably not likely, you know, probably more like seven or eight seed, but I, I could see this, like it all coming together and, uh, you know, Sabrina's great and Howard uh, is kind of back to 2019 Howard with better mm-hmm. talent around her than that kind of, uh, that storm team had with less than ideal floor spacing, if you remember uh, and stuff like that. So th- that would be kind of the ceiling I put on this team, but all of this is, you know, contingent on getting a Natasha Howard that we've seen for, you know, two of her seven WNBA seasons, essentially. Like, I talk so much about how, you know, maybe the Liberty won't get the Benajelani that people might expect, but maybe the collective we are kind of underrating the chances that we don't get the version of Natasha Howard that we expect, who, you know, has been in the league for a while. And, and she, she wasn't that player last year. And bef- the prior years before those first two Seattle seasons, she wasn't that player. That's a good point. I feel like Natasha Howard has done most of her damage in her career as a, oh, I hate to say role player, but you know, you know, you know what I mean when I say that. Can she be a high usage player? Can she be the the best player on a team, on a contending team? I should say. That's that's a fair question for sure. Yeah, or at least you know a top two player maybe if Sabrina kind of hits hits her, you know, yeah, hits, if she hits her ceiling running, yeah. or something like that. But you know, I think between how how good Laney can be and UNESCO can be and Howard can be like, that's a pretty good top three, you know, regardless of who's kind of one, two, three, uh, obviously like if, if it winds up being like Laney is the best out of those three, then maybe you're in some trouble, but anything else about this team? I'm looking forward to, to seeing them, you know, just cause there's so much kind of mystery around what. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is like the good kind of mystery. It's not, it's not the kind of mystery of like, can the fever hit enough three point shots to not be horrible? No, it's, it's, you have some good players here and it's a matter of how does all, how does it all come together? Especially when it's a team that like last year was, Oh my goodness. Like that was barely even a WNBA team, you know? So yeah, I'm looking forward to watching them as well. Uh, it's, it's like the philosophy and the roster actually align this year. And I really like the philosophy and I really like the players too. So let's go for it. I'm ready. Yeah. And with that being said, um, this was, this was number 12. This was our last team outlook. We made hey. it. Uh, the season's just a couple days away. The Liberty will be the first game of the WNBA season. Can't wait. That'll, that'll be this week. And thank you all so much for listening. It was a long off season, but uh, we're, <laughs> we've just about made it. If you want to support the show, you can rate, review, subscribe. We're available on Apple, uh, Google, Spotify, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA, at E at Trinkwald. Looking forward to some live WNBA basketball this week. Absolutely. Take care, everybody.